Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we've got another amazing show lined up for you guys today. Uh, first, I got two interviews with guys from UFC on Fox 31 live from Milwaukee this weekend. I'm starting by talking with Juan Adams, who makes his debut fresh off the Contender Series. Me and him chat about his favorite snacks. You guys are going to really enjoy this one. We're even going to talk a little bit about his uh, favorite alcoholic beverages as well. Uh, after that, I'm talking with Adam Milstead, who fights Mike Rodriguez this weekend, so that's going to be a fun one as well, and we're going to get into the card itself by breaking down our three favorite fights off the show, uh, plus, of course, we'll also talk about Max Holloway's big win, and obviously what that means for his legacy, as well as uh, our combat countdown, which is going to take an even closer look at Max Holloway, because in honor of him and Bellator going to Hawaii this weekend, we're counting down our five favorite Hawaiian fighters of all time, so you're going to want to check that out, as well as everything else from today's show, but but first, it's important that you know that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. This family-owned business isn't messing around when it comes to your grappling gear. Joe over at ADK, make sure that when you put his company name on your back, you're getting the very best of the best of the best of the best, and that's really what their gear is. It's high quality, and it lasts forever. That's right. It lasts forever. Uh, I've had the same rash guard for them for a really long time. It's got to be multiple years by now or so. Uh, and it looks just like the day I bought it. It isn't pilling. It isn't ripping. The threads are all intact. I've washed it like a fucking thousand times and every single time the colors stay bright. You guys got to check these out and you can do so by going to adkfightwear.com and using promo code FLOW. That's F-L-O for 20% off your hoard. And that 20% goes a long way you can get a rash guard there for just 20 bucks that's right just 20 bucks it's insane head there now check it out you won't be sorry adk fight where brings you this episode of top turtle mma podcast on flow combat and it starts right now Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today we have the pleasure of speaking to Juan the Kraken Adams, who fights Chris De La Rocha at UFC on Fox 31 on December 15th. Juan, I, I know we're taking some time away from your coaching at a tournament right now, so we really appreciate that time. Where and what are you coaching today? Uh, I'm coaching high school wrestling. We're at Mady Creek High School doing the Ram Duels. Um, I coach for Episcopal High School, so it's a private high school in Houston, but uh, they brought me on staff a few years ago, and it's actually the only job that I kept after I signed with the UFC. Oh, that's awesome, and it's nice to be able to work with some kids who've got the same passion as you do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was coaching at a middle school also, but I wasn't going to be able to commit the time that I needed to to them and the high school so I made the tough choice and stuck with the high school mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense so let, let's get talking about your, your lead up to your fight now so uh, you know the reports are out there you're one of the biggest heavyweights that there's there's been in the UFC in some time you you cut down from nearly 300 pounds I gotta ask how was cutting down from 300 pounds and dieting when Thanksgiving just went by uh, honestly it was super tough because um, I got I had a, I have a girlfriend now, so we went to like her family's and her family friends and a couple other places, and I'm just at all these different dinners, not eating anything. There. I had my little protein shake and uh, some coffee to get me through the day, and that was about it. <laughs> How many times did you have to answer the question, uh, why the protein shake and a coffee, rather than all of this delicious food? 
I normally just ate it like on a, or drink it on the way to the dinner, so I didn't have to answer that question. But uh, I only had to answer it once, and it was it was tough. It was definitely tough. Um, but you know the the way it is, uh, we you know I walk around. If I'm not training at all, I'll get up to about three ten. Uh, if I train moderately, like two or three times a week, I'll walk around at about two ninety five, and then if. Uh, you know, when we're training like we are now, I'm doing three-a-days, uh, basically, and then two-a-days on my lighter day, and on my off day, I just have one training session and a three-mile run, and uh, so right now, I'm walking around at about 285, and we'll get down to 282 by uh, Sunday, I think is the goal, and from there, just maintain 282 into the water cut, and we start our water cut, and uh, I usually lose it pretty easily once we get to the water drop. Yeah, and I was going to say, there's not too many heavyweights out there doing a water cut. Uh, do you feel like it gives you a size advantage when you're in the cage? Uh, definitely. You know, um, I always put on at least 15 pounds uh, before my fight. Sometimes, you know, I haven't controlled myself and I've gained 30 pounds before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> day. So I've, I have stepped in the cage at about 295 uh, a couple of times, and we feel like I'm at my best when I walk in there at about 283 to 285. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. So I, I got to ask you, too. You know, you said you, you indulge a little bit too much. What food are you looking forward to most after this uh, this weight cut that kept you away from Thanksgiving? Uh, man, honestly, it wasn't even Thanksgiving food all that much. It's uh, my little Bebby's. Uh, snacks, you know. <laughs> I am a huge fan of the zebra cake, the zebra cake rolls. They used to have zebra cake nutty bars, but they discontinued those, so I'm real pissed about that. But <laughs> they've got their, uh, oh, Christmas season's coming up, so you got the little Christmas tree thing. They have chocolate Christmas tree ones this year. The little Debbie, the strawberry shortcake rolls are, are an all-time favorite of mine. And uh, then the oatmeal cream pies, of course. Yeah, so so it sounds like you've got a whole lineup, a whole, like, 12 days of Christmas after this fight scheduled up, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I already, I already told my total lady friend, like, hey, don't get too used to these abs. Yeah, <laughs> Soon as the fight's over, the abs are gone. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's certainly, uh, I guess, good news for for you and bad news for her. Let's let's talk a little bit about the fight though, because I know you're actively campaigning for fights pretty much from the moment you were signed, uh, and, and it's sort of been a while. Was was there any fight before this one that was close to being booked uh, that maybe didn't get booked, or, or have you just been sitting waiting for the call? I honestly have been sitting and waiting nonstop. Um, I actually I was getting like messages all the time. What are you fighting again? All these fans from you know all over the world. That was the crazy thing. I mean, I've got fans in, in Ireland and Russia now, and that's been crazy to me. But um, I finally told them like, stop asking me. Y'all want me to get a fight? Start tagging Mick Maynard and Dana White and the UFC and stuff. I I have no control over it. And Mick finally messaged me. He was like, I do not respond to social media. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I, I had my manager text him, and then I texted him, and uh, we threw some names out there. And uh, they they initially were saying I probably wouldn't fight till next year, but three days later I got an offer. And, you know, I don't, I don't really do that. There's not a whole lot of discrepancy when I pick an opponent. And I get an offer, I sign it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm ready to go unless I have an injury. So, uh, no injuries. Uh, sign the fight, and we're ready to go. 
Yeah, so, so you mentioned, I want to go back to, to you getting messages from everybody. Uh, how frustrating was it, and, and how often were you getting messages like that? Are we talking like, you know, once a week, or are we talking about like every oh. single day? It was every single day, oh. you know. Uh, literally every day, at least one person would ask, you know, when are you getting a fight, when are you getting a fight. The people that had my number were, would text me and say, hey, man, uh, just checking in on you. Like every couple weeks, any update on the fight? I know you're looking for one. Uh, you know, every time I make a post on any time I post on my personal social media, when are you getting to fight again? When are you gonna fight again? So it was it was interesting, but I'm glad to know I have that type of fan support uh, before I even have a fight. That's, that's pretty awesome. And, and what do you think led to that kind of fan support? Because obviously, you know, like you said, some people who have your number, your friends and your family, asking questions like that. But the people from Ireland and Russia and all over the world, wh- where do you think that fandom comes from? Uh, I, I really think it's just from my social media, you know, I, I try and make a point in, in how I'm in person. I try and be, you know, very accessible to fans. I try and interact with them. I don't, I don't get too personal with them, but, you know, anything they want to know, I'll, I'll tell them as long as it's not crossing any lines. Um, you know, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill about it. And, you know, I just, I like to have fun, man. You know, I feel like people are drawn to that. I, I'm enjoying every minute of my fight. You know, I love the journey. I love the process. Uh, you know, and then I, of course, I love my food and I love drinking. So <laughs> afterwards, so I'm out drinking. You meet a lot of people and become friends. So, <laughs> so, so we already asked you what your your first food you're going to, and it's pretty clear it's uh, you know, little Debbie, some sort of zebra cake or something. What's the first drink you're going to after this fight? Oh, I always start off with a Cosmo. That's my go-to. Um, I love the super colorful, bright, fun drinks. But uh, after that, you know, it's right into the hard stuff. Uh, I'll have my Cosmo, then I'll have, go to my default double of Kraken, uh, Dr. Pepper, a couple of limes in there. And after that, it's free reign. Like, whoever, <laughs> whatever's there, I'm drinking. Uh, I'm a huge fan of rum myself, so... But, you know, I, I don't turn anything away. If I don't like it the first time, I just won't drink it again. Mm-hmm. So we get pretty wild. All right. So other than the Little Debbie Snacks and the Cosmo, we got to ask, with all this anticipation leading up to the fight, you know, it's been a while. You were hoping for a fight for so long. What are you looking forward to most about your debut? Man, I'm looking. I'm just looking forward to getting that finish, man. I want to keep the streak going. Like I said, no opponent has ever lasted five minutes with me. So... I'm looking forward to see if this step up in competition, if if they, if it really is that big of a step up, because I'm ready for it. You know, I trained my butt off to be able to go 25, 30 minutes in the cage, and it's over in five. Like, it makes you question your training sometimes. Like, I'll be in there struggling, dying to breathe, and then we go that last set of cardio, and I'm like, why? Why do I even need to do this right now? <laughs> no point. My fights don't last this long. Uh, so there's that, but you know I'm I'm just excited to see how much I've grown athletically uh, between my last fight and this one. And each fight I just keep getting better, and so I want to see how much better I've gotten since the last one. Well, we're certainly excited for that too, and I know you got to get back to your to your wrestling. So we uh, we just want to remind the fans that you can follow them on Twitter. It is a hell of a follow. I highly suggest you do it. It's at chosen one two eighty five, uh, and that's chosen one J U A N two eighty five. So make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's a real good follow. Uh, Juan, we want to thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you. 
This is Daniel Gumby Greenland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Adam Milstead, who fights Mike Rodriguez at UFC on Fox 31, December 15th. Adam, uh, let's talk about your recent post on social media, because we saw you're working a second job uh, on a pipeline. How long have you been working there, and sort of what led to that? Um, I've been there for about four to five years now uh, with that company, and I've I, I never have not had a full-time job. Um, uh, basically, the whole reason why I have that job is so that I have benefits, 401k, health insurance, stuff like that. But, um, you know, it, it's the way I make money. You know, the UFC is just kind of that that um, part-time job that you kind of keep around just so you can pay for the holiday gifts. So, so you see uh, the UFC is more of your side job, whereas this you see is more of your full-time job? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, the the guys that I work with on the pipeline are good guys, and they take care of me, and they understand i got to get an opportunity with the UFC. But, uh, yeah, like I said, the UFC is just uh, it's pretty much a part-time job for me. I see. And so, uh, obviously, you know, going into a, a training camp like this, it, it can be really time-consuming for you. Is that difficult with your full-time job at the same time, or uh, you know, is your, your job kind of understanding of needing a little bit of extra time to train as the fight approaches? Well, I mean, a little bit of both. They 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 understand that um, that I got a great opportunity. So you know, when it comes time that I I need to, to kind of get out of there, if I got somebody coming in to kind of help me out in the gym, um, you know, I'm able to uh, get the other guys to kind of pick up. But um, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes I, I work out there, you know, uh, anywhere from 10, 11, 12 hours, um, and uh, and then right from there. So on a regular basis, you know, if I don't have anything special planned that day, I'm, I'm working, you know, 10, 10, 11 hours. I get home, I grab my stuff, and I head to the gym. And it's it's very time consuming. It's uh, there's not much time for anything else, even just like the the normal necessities of coming home, being able to cook a good you know, home meal and, uh, or be able to get things done around the house or errands that need to be run outside. Um, you know, just it's some of those things that got to get kind of put on the back burner. Luckily I got a good girlfriend that kind of takes care of me. <laughs> that, that is a, that is definitely a necessity there. Is this something you're doing yeah. five days a week or is this, uh, you know, something that is, is only happening like three or four days a week that it, it winds up being this rundown? Uh, it's, it's every day pretty much and any day that I have to wake up at you know 5.30 in the morning in order to, to make sure I get to work on time and stuff like that it's you know I get to sleep at 11 o'clock 11.30 wake back up at 5.30 and it, that's not enough time to to you know get to sleep and by the time I'm done training at night you know I get home I'm still amped up from training it's so difficult to get to sleep so I'm, I'm sitting there wide awake till sometimes 12 in the morning and uh so it is difficult to just just kind of uh, make everything kind of work on that level and uh you know i'm I'm left with uh not much time for anything else Mm -hmm. other than making sure i get that recovery time and and then i don't get enough of that so um yeah it it sucks but that's that's the life i live i've been living it now for the last 10 years in mixed martial arts yeah. So, so you mentioned you know not having quite enough time to to sleep, not enough time to recover. You you mentioned the meals being really hard. I I know the wake up for you last time was not the easiest thing coming down to two hundred five. Previously a heavyweight, 
Thanksgiving was around, you know, this diet time. How, how's the weight cut been going? Uh, through through Thanksgiving, I, I failed. Um, I I, <laughs> I failed myself quite a bit, uh, but I, I tried to stay away from the pumpkin pie. But my mom makes an amazing pumpkin pie. So, but um, yeah, it's uh, it hasn't been that bad. You know, I I think uh, last time the reason why last time was so difficult is just because the last you know six years I've been a heavyweight and I've been fighting like that and literally stepping on a scale with a double cheeseburger and not you know think twice about it. Um, now it's like I got to be a little bit more um, cautious to what I eat, and uh, I think I got a, game, a decent game plan now. I'm, I'm, my weight's on point. It's uh, there's there's nothing to worry about now as far as weight wise goes. That that's good. So you, you mentioned you failed. I, I got to ask: Is it just the pumpkin pie? Because I know you're a beer guy too. Were there a couple <laughs> of were there a couple of dogfish heads uh, on on Thanksgiving? <laughs> I wish, man. I wish. I knew that stuff packs on weight fast, and it was. Uh, I was thinking. I was like, well, after this victory, um, December fifteenth. I mean, those things are going to taste even that much sweeter. So I, I, I did well, and I stayed away from it. Um, you know, I may have had you know one or two glasses of wine, but obviously they don't they don't do much. You know, compared mm. to dogfish head. So, <laughs> but I, I did do well. I stayed away from that. Oh, that's good to hear. So let, let's talk a little bit about the fight. You, you're fighting Mike Rodriguez, who, who, while he's only an inch taller than you, is fight. Uh, it's got like six inches more of reach. Um, really, really long guy. What have you been doing in the gym to prepare for a guy who's shaped like that? Um, well, I have my coaches. He puts uh, broom handle sticks on both hands, <laughs> and then he just tries to punch me and hit me. <laughs> um, basically, we, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with. Uh, He's a Bellator veteran. He's a guy that's an upper comer um, in the area. His name is Josh Prem. He's, he's the exact same height, uh, may even have a longer reach than he does. So he's been my main training partner this, this um, you know, go around this camp. And uh, basically, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of going in this with the mindset of, of let's stay in the space. Let's, let's um, you know, take away his ability or his range and, uh, you know, make it a hard fight for him. Yeah, and, and that seems to make sense. You know, that's the the game plan when somebody's got that much length on you. Do, do you plan on just doing that from, like, clinch work? Do you plan on getting in tight in, in dirty boxing? Are we talking about a wrestling game? What If you can, you know, divulge a little bit without giving us too much, what's that going to look yeah. like? Uh, basically, if you ever seen Mike Tyson fight, that's kind of like how I'm going to go in there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it might be back and forth. Uh, we might get in a brawl or two, but the idea is, uh, you know, I'm not so worried about his boxing as I am worried about his kicks. And, um, you know, if you have a guy that's coming forward all the time, it's very hard to kick that person. So, like I said, I mean, we're, we're going to stay in his face. We're going to, you know, make him not want to be in those situations and uh, just put him if you look at his last fight was uh, with Devin Clark and Devin was able to put him down with a couple punches so and Devin Clark is uh, six foot six foot one maybe not even that I know he's a lot shorter doesn't have the reach that I have so um, I'm uh, you know I'm excited uh, this is a striker who uh, you know is actually going to fight uh, not somebody who's going to try to cuddle me for three rounds so I'll be able to kind of showcase my uh, my uh, skill set so yeah, that is exciting. And, and you said you wanted to avoid the leg kicks. Obviously, some of that's lengthwise. But I, I, I got to ask too. You know, you had that knee injury in the past. Is, is there any lingering issues with the knee at all? Um, do you try to avoid leg kicks for that reason? 
Uh, no, no, uh, no. There's no lingering issues with it. The knee's fine. It's perfect to, to be exact. It, you know, I've I've had a good team to get me uh, back in shape. Um, you know, it's been over a year, way over a year since that happened, and the surgery and everything like that. And everything feels great. Um, uh, just the idea of the leg kicks. I mean, that that's uh, that's a main point of his setups to his uh, techniques. So. Um, he's either he's either throwing a punch as a setup of leg kicks, or he's using a leg kick to maybe set up punches. So we take those out of the equation. Uh, he'll be like a fish out of water. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, just one last question before we let you go here. I, I know this is the last fight of your contract. I'm just curious as to whether or not the UFC has made any contact about it, possibly extending that, or if you have any plans for what's what's to happen after this contract's up. Um, well. Um, the whole game plan from here on out is, is to obtain another contract to show that I'm willing to fight, uh, put on a show and that they want to see a little bit more. Um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm at a point now where I'll accept the same contract that I signed when I first got in the UFC just so I can continue doing what I love because I'm not, I'm not in a position to, to quit yet. You know, I got plenty of fight left in these hands. I, you know, I've, you know, a couple more years in this sport, you know, in my prime wise. And uh, I, I feel like I'm just getting I'm I'm getting better as I as I go on. You know, I, I had a bad bad knee injury, and then uh, some people want to call a last fight was a was a bad call and a split decision over mm-hmm. an undefeated fighter. So it uh you know I, I I'm right there to 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 make my leap into the, the division and and really do something. You know, I, I come off from a heavyweight. And to uh, light heavyweight, my my last fight was my first light heavyweight since 2011. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully they'll they'll see that uh, that division's still wide open. They're, they need guys. They need guys to get in there and want to put on a show. And you know that that's what I'm all about. Uh, if it doesn't work out, man, uh, you know I don't plan on fighting for anybody else. Uh, I and, unless somebody comes with me, such an incredible deal, I can't say no to. But I don't see that happening. I don't, I don't have the uh, the background or the the following to to really, you know, uh, pursue a contract like that with some other organization. I you know I, I like the UFC. The UFC takes care of me. They um, you know they they're a well-oiled machine when it comes down to it. And uh, and all I want to do is I want to continue fighting for them. If I don't get the shot, then who knows, man? Maybe maybe that'll be the start of my country career or something. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, we, we certainly hope to see you in the cage. Maybe we can put a pause on that country music career for a little while. So we'll be rooting for you on UFC on Fox 31. Once again, Adam Milstead fights Mike Rodriguez on that UFC on Fox card December 15th. Adam, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And those interviews with Juan Adams and Adam Milstead were brought to you by Sheath Underwear. I'm going to start this by telling you that you need to go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code FLOW for 20% off. Now, we usually don't start like this, but I want you to know, first of all, that you're getting a good deal. And then, I want to tell you why you need sheath underwear. Need, not want, why you need sheath underwear. Look, exercise for a lot of guys sucks. We aren't born loving it. There's no shame in that. So, if you're one of those guys who has to force yourself to exercise, how about upping your comfort level of exercise with sheath? Rather than putting on some briefs that crush your nuts or some boxers that let them fly around like a goddamn trapeze artist or something, 
Sheath has an innovative front pocket that supports your guys while letting them breathe. It's amazing, and it makes working out and exercise about 30 times more comfortable. And, and they are moisture wicking and antimicrobial so that you stay fresh down there as well as comfortable. So go get yourself your first pair or hell, even grab a three pack at sheathunderwear.com and be sure to use that promo code FLOW for 20% off. Save yourself some cash. I, for those of you who are oblivious to the point, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland alongside of Top Turtle MMA Podcast co-host extraordinaire Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start by talking about Juan Adams. This dude's got some serious star quality. Well, color me excited about Juan Adams. The guy walks around at 310 pounds. That's a lot of weight to cut to get to the heavyweight division of the UFC. Seems like he has some serious star quality. I agree with you. Yeah, he's really exciting, and I will say, while he uh, he seems to have an affinity for little Debbie snacks here, uh, he doesn't look like your prototypical like big fat guy heavyweight. He's like pretty just huge, and it'll be interesting to see how he fits in that division, especially at only 26, which is pretty young for for 265 as well. Yeah, heavyweight uh, division always tends to go a little on the older side. You can even make a run for a title in your mid-30s there, whereas you just ain't really doing that in any of the lighter divisions. Uh, as far as friend of the show, Adam Milstead, seems like he's at a real career crossroads. thought it was very interesting what he said about having to have like a quote-unquote real job for insurance and the fact that he may just retire because he's never going to, you know, if it was with a loss, he only wants to fight for the UFC. So I guess... While others might be uh, lured by Risen or One or Bellator or the PFL, Adam Milstead is a company guy through and through. Yeah, I, I kind of like that too. And, and I know some of it is, is due to he just doesn't want to go back to that regional level pay again. It's just not worth it to him. But but also, yeah, he said the UFC has treated him well, which is good to hear because you, know, you do hear kind of a lot of horror stories out there about how shitty they are to some of their, their up-and-coming talent. All right, let's move on to a little bit of news around the world of MMA. Uh, and, you know, we could start in a number of different places, but I think we would be remiss, and we'll talk about them a little later in the show when we do our combat countdown on the best Hawaiian fighters. Let's briefly touch on the masterful masterful performance Max Holloway put on at UFC 231 versus Brian Ortega. Yeah, it, it's incredible. So, like, I, I keep trying to put it in perspective because, you know, like Brian Ortega is an undefeated fighter, so we've never seen him lose. We've never seen what it's like for him to lose. And a lot of times when you see that guy lose, you, you don't know how to rank the magnitude of a loss, right? Like when we saw Francis Naganu lose for the first time in the UFC, you almost wondered, like, was he that good all along or did he hit some lucky punches? But then you go back and look at Brian Ortega's resume. Like, he tapped out Cub Swanson. He tapped out Hanato Moicano. He knocked out Frankie Edgar, and he looked like a fool against Max Holloway. Yeah, I well, I, Max is just so good. I mean, I still, if I'm putting stock in fighters, I still have money in Brian Ortega as a future champion. I thought it was kind of interesting hearing Henner in between rounds, and I'm a big Henner Gracie guy. I do wonder if Ortega maybe needs to move... I hate to do this, like, oh, he should move camps. Everyone says that after a loss. But you could see such a clear difference in striking levels when it came to Max and Brian Ortega. And Max has been at the game a little longer. I would be interested if, like, a Dwayne Ludwig got his hands 
on Brian Ortega for two or three years, what that would turn Ortega into, because it felt like Ortega was just looking for that counter jab. Mm -hmm. He didn't really offer much in the way of combinations. Um, so again, I think Ortega, you know, still has a, a bright career ahead of him. Max yeah. right now is just peaking as, you know, the best version of Max Holloway. Yeah, I want to go back to what you said about Ortega there, too, with as far as striking goes, because I, I know that, you know, he, he works at a couple of different places in there, and I don't imagine him ever leaving Henner just based on how much he loves him, but he, I could see a thing where he brings in an outside striking coach, one of those coaches who maybe works not necessarily out of just one gym. Somebody like Jason Perillo, who's worked with Cyborg and worked with Tito Ortiz and stuff, and sort of moved around between gyms and helped people out. I could see him working with somebody like that, but I don't ever see him leaving Henner. And then to your point he about Matt... He, he, he doesn't have to, but the point is, is when he's facing a striker like Max Holloway, Henner's not the person in between rounds to be giving him that advice. Oh, 100%. So I would... You know what I mean? Like, Henner could still be the the main guy or the base but I would like to see like I mean just imagine you know I, I keep throwing out Dwayne Ludwig or I don't know I mean he's only worked with two other UFC fighters but imagine if Brian Ortega got to work with Freddie Roach for two years yeah. and then Freddie Roach was in his corner saying hey you know Max is coming in with these combos you have to counter this way go to the body whatever the fuck striking coaches throw out there he wasn't getting that advice and the the difference in striking was just so significant against Max. Yeah, and that that's again back to your point where you're saying Max is peaking in like Max Max capacity here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I just think you know like what we saw of Max Holloway early in his career is not what we're seeing out of him now because he is so much better. And some of that we have to attribute, yeah, to really good coaching, yeah, to him taking in everything he could possibly learn. But also the fact that a lot of people haven't wrapped their head around the fact that Max Holloway is 27 years old. As far as MMA is concerned, he may not even yet be at the height of his prime yet. Like, this is a guy who's coming into his, like, full physical prime as far as fighters go. And I actually think he might wind up deadlier in two or three fights from now than we're watching him right now. All right, I'm going to cut you off right there because we're going to talk even more about that very point when we get to our combat countdown on the top five Hawaiian fighters. Uh, it's worth noting that Max uh, said he would like to fight Habib, try to hand him his first loss. He also talked about a Tony Ferguson fight. Dana White endorsed that. You and I had an interesting discussion on our Twitter this week, at Top Turtle MMA, if you're not following us on Twitter. Uh, I am all about Max going up to 155, letting 145-pound division simmer a bit. You have Moicano, Volkanovski, Zabit. Let them get one more win. I don't need to see them fight uh, Max Holloway in the spring of 2019. i rather see it in the fall of 2019. I'm all about Max fighting Tony or Connor or Habib. Where do you land on all of it? Uh, I kind of want to see him defend the title in the division a couple more times. I think there is enough interesting young and up-and-comers in that division that they could have a sellable title fight sometime in early 2019. I, I definitely get the want to see him against all those 55ers, but I just don't see that, like, matchup going away anytime soon. You know what I mean? Like, he could clean out the featherweight division in probably two or three fights while other guys beat each other. You know, like, if he beat, you know the winner of Volkanovski and Mendez, 
and then he also beat, you know, Frankie Edgar goes and beats Hanato Moicano, then he beats Frankie Edgar. That took care of four challengers right there, and the division probably would need some time to build another one up. And in the meantime, it's not like Habib or Tony Ferguson or Connor won't be sitting right there for a mega fight sometime around International Fight Week. Yeah, I couldn't disagree with you more on any of this. I think all the guys you mentioned, again, I, I love these guys. I love Volkanovski. I love Moicano. I love Frankie Edgar. The thought of Max defending against one of them in the spring, it just bores me to to death. Max, where he is right now, I just I need to see this. I need to see the unrelenting pressure of Max versus the unrelenting pressure of Tony. I need to see Max's takedown defense against Khabib. I just do. It was a fight that we were teased for about four days last spring. And I want it. <laughs> four and days. I don't know. You know, Khabib isn't going to be around much longer. We, re- You know, between the suspension and the fact that he doesn't really fight for money, uh, you know, he might have one or two more big fights left. I would love to see Max be one of them, and I'd love to see Tony be the other, or maybe GSP. And then same thing with Connor. I think Connor. If you don't want Connor to get right back in there with Habib, I think the Max fight, you know, they have the history. Connor has the win over him. Max isn't going to go to the ground with Connor, so you're going to get a largely striking affair. I mean, Max versus Connor gets my juices flowing. But that all being said, I mean, I, I just think that Max, where he is at the star potential, fighting uh, Moicano does nothing for me. Fighting someone at 155 one of these all-time greats, and then coming back to defend against Moicano does more for me than it would be to just follow up this performance of the Moicano defense. We've probably stayed too long on this, though. Um, speaking of Conor McGregor, Coach <laughs> Kavanaugh says he needs to be convinced to coach Conor again. What did you make of this? Uh, I feel like the headlines, if, if you read all the quotes, and I, I didn't hear the interview, but if you read all the quotes, the headlines are a tad misleading, it sounds like all he needs to be convinced is the fight to be, like, meaningful. It almost sounds like Kavanaugh saying he wouldn't corner Connor if he fought Dustin Poirier. You know, like, he, he was like, he was like I'll, I'll fight Habib. I, I'll help him fight Habib again. I'll f- help him fight Max again. I'll help him fight Tony Ferguson. That'll be exciting. I'll help him fight GSP. But, like... I need somebody that get. He basically needs somebody that gets his juices flowing. To steal your your comment about Max, and I I think that it almost is a way of like downplaying like the winner of Ayakinta versus Kevin Lee and downplaying Dustin Poirier as they're not like big mega stars that sell tons of pay per views in in like a way of working into a matchup. So I don't think that like we're done seeing Kavanaugh do like corner Connor or he's gonna like leave Connor for a fight. I think he's just playing the game as well as Connor is. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. I think the headlines, it was clickbaity, typical MMA media bullshit. But there is something to be said. Like, they didn't talk in the weeks following the Habib fight. Uh, You know, I guess Kavanaugh went on record saying he wished he made the camp a little more offensive. You look at Connor with the proper 12 whiskey, he made mention of that. Like, why would Connor ever fight again? He's making more money from whiskey than he ever would from fighting. There just does seem to be a little bit of a crack in that uh, armor or, I guess, relationship of Kavanaugh and Connor. It's just kind of interesting. I will tell you this. I think, I know he just signed some ridiculous UFC contract 
where, you know, they did this to Anderson Silva when he turned 40. It's like a nine-fight contract. They mm. extended his contract to something ridiculous that he won't fight out just to make sure he never goes to Bellator or what have you. But I really do believe we're probably looking at uh, two more fights for Connor, something in that area. It's same thing with Habib. Um, and I, and maybe one of the, you know, for each of them, one of those fights will be against each other, but we're not going to get a lot more Connor in the next couple of years. Do you agree I, with that? I'd actually be surprised if we got two from Connor. I think if he went out there, especially and lost, I don't think you'd ever see him. Yeah. Again. You know, like if he went right. and fought Max Holloway in February and got beat by Max, I don't think you'd ever see him again. And to be fair, I don't think you should ever see him again if that's the case either, because like, what he fights for and what he cares about it is pretty much out the door with that max like right he's he's fighting for legacy that that's always been connor's thing is connor's not there to defend his title a bunch of times connor's there to make money and show you that he has a legacy that's why he wants to fight at a title that's why he needed the Nate Diaz rematch right cuz for his legacy he needed to go down as having gone back and beat Nate Diaz if he rattles off i mean that would be three out of four losses in MMA, and if you're counting combat sports, it's four out of five losses in a row. I'm not saying he's done or wouldn't beat, like, anybody outside the top five, but I'm saying, like, for what he fights for, we wouldn't ever need to see him fight again if he lost, and I don't think we would ever see him fight again if he lost. So UFC 233 in Anaheim is coming right on the heels of the debut of uh, UFC on ESPN. They, uh, the former main event of UFC 233 was to be Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw. The suits at ESPN said, hey guys, we're paying you millions of dollars per year. You better load up the first show because we're kicking off an over-the-top uh, streaming service here. So Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw got moved to ESPN. Okay, cool. Makes sense. So we didn't have a main event now for 233, but we did have a loaded card. We have the rumors of Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren, although that almost feels like it's falling apart with the rumors of Ben Askren maybe moving to the ESPN show too, or stepping in to face one of uh, Colby Covington or Usman for uh, interim title. But now we get the news, and this was the most longest preamble to get here. Dominic Cruz versus John Lineker, another highly contested, highly uh, thought of bout on that UFC 233 card, is going to be canceled because uh, Dominic Cruz is injured again. Stop me if you've ever heard that before. <laughs> While they're looking for a replacement for him right now, uh, they could just move Joseph Benavidez, who's also scheduled to fight on that show. Bottom line is, UFC 233 is falling apart fast. What do you make of it? Yeah, and I think that all the mean things you're hearing about Tyrone Woodley right now are all because of the fact that they're seeing this pay-per-view card sort of fall apart. And I don't know if you saw this either, because it only got tweeted out probably 30 minutes ago right now, but both of the guys who were rumored to be the fill-ins for the John Lineker fight uh, and take Dominic Cruz's spot, Jimmy Rivera and Aljamain Sterling, just got booked for each other at UFC on ESPN1, uh, which is a slightly different card than that one in Brooklyn, but it leaves Lineker really without a like a viable candidate to fight because Asun Sao is fighting Marias too at a different card. So I, I'm thinking, you know, like Lineker is probably going to get pulled or get a squash match, which is not what sells pay-per-views. 
I, I'm struggling to come up with a title fight that makes sense for this card if Woodley's not able to go. And and you can't sell me on another interim title fight at the welterweight division for this. Now, the only thing I could think of would be Daniel Cormier stepping up again on short notice and defending the heavyweight title against, you know, who, I mean, maybe a Stipe rematch or even just giving Naganu another chance one year to the date of his last chance. But I agree with you. It just looks to me like this card is going to end up getting scrapped. And I, for one, do not blame Tyron Woodley. If he's injured, he's injured. He's fought about as much as any other champion. I'm so bored of this Dana White-Tyron Woodley feud. I really just want to get past it. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't like I don't like it either. But that being said, like when when Dana's desperate for a title fight, he's got. He, I mean, like from his position, he's just trying to take the heat off of himself. And like you're you're right, it is a fucking tired joke. But like Tyrone Woodley is the easiest target for him to hit. I mean, I don't know. I, he defended twice in 2017. He uh, defend. He won in the title oh. in mid July of 2016. Defended three months later. He only defended once in 2018, but that was just back in September. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, like putting him to March or uh, I would say February, March, April sounds about right. Coming yeah. off a of September defense. Yeah, I, I'm not saying like he's the right person for for White to be shitting on based on when he defended, but like from the perspective of like. It's already pretty clear that Tyrone Woodley is not, like, the biggest sell. And it's already pretty clear that, for some reason, fans don't really latch on to Tyrone Woodley well. So if Dana White has to blame somebody for not having a main event, he's fucking certainly not going to blame himself. And, like, are you going to blame Habib? No, Habib's going to sell you loads of pay-per-views. Are you going to blame DC? No, DC's bailed your ass out a bunch of times. It, It... is I'm just saying it's not surprising. I'm not saying it's right, but it's not surprising that he he's uh, using Tyrone Woodley sort of as his scapegoat here. Yeah, I mean they're working an angle, you know. Yeah. I don't necessarily think they hate each other as much as they let on, mm-hmm. but it's kind of just become this thing where they pretend to feud, or maybe they're feuding. I don't know. I'm just tired of the whole thing. Yeah. Let's go to some really good news. <laughs> One FC has signed a deal with TNT putting them on a major, major cable network. So now when you look at the MMA landscape, you have Bellator on the Paramount Network, UFC on ESPN, uh, One on TNT, and PFL, I believe, is on NBC Sports Network. Um, That's amazing. I mean, MMA has not been this readily available on cable uh, in 10 years, and... You know, the fact that there are four relatively, all things considered, strong promotions, it's really quite amazing. Yeah, and also, too, three of those have their own streaming services, and I think that their ability to put some of this stuff on streaming services helps the TV deal, right? Because the the TV deal doesn't have to bear the, the like burden of having every single card on it which I think is probably sweetening the deal for a lot of TV channels because I know that one is going to have some stuff, I believe, on Bleacher Report Live. Um, and they had their own app for a while. Bellator is using DAZN. Uh, you know, UFC is using ESPN Plus now. Not only is it available on ma- major cable, it is available on your freaking cell phone everywhere, man. Yeah, great point. Um, I think it definitely points to the strength of MMA. 
And speaking of strength, let's get to our combat countdown. I don't even know if that was a good lead-in or not. <laughs> Gumpy, does any fine company sponsor this combat countdown? As always, the Combat Countdown is sponsored to, uh, by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to sisuguard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink, all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. So head on over there and check one out today. I love my Sisu Mouthguard. I'm doing the show with my Sisu Mouthguard in my mouth right now. Can you hear how clearly I'm talking? That's the amazingness of a Sisu Mouthguard. All right. So in honor of Max's masterful performance, we threw out on our Twitter, at MMA. hey, who's the best Hawaiian fighter of all time? Is it Max? Is it BJ? And got a lot of spirited debate. A lot of people were very pro-BJ. A lot of people were very pro-Max. It's not an easy question to answer, but it got us thinking. Who else would even be on that list when we separate those two? So let's get to this, Gumby. We're going to do the top five fighters from Hawaii of all time. Uh, maybe next week we'll do South Dakota, one through five, Brock Lesnar. Um, <laughs> but for this week, we'll do Hawaii. Any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, so a couple of people I want to mention. Um, you know, Kendall Grove was kind of an, an OG from Hawaii. Um, he had a lot of good wins if you look back early in his career. Brad Tavares has been a top ten guy in the middleweight division for it seems like ever. Like, he's always at, like, anywhere between ten and twelve. Uh, Yancey Medeiros, me- worth mentioning. Uh, I'll also say a personal favorite of mine, which was Cabbage Correa, who had some fucking spirited bouts way back in the day against uh, Andre Arlovsky and Tim Sylvia. All right, then. I like all those names. Um, and, you know, Rachel, Rachel Ostevich seems <laughs> like she has potential. Um, we'll see her fight in January against Paige Van Zant. I'm expecting a win there, mm-hmm. but we will see. So there are prospects coming out of Hawaii as well, but we'll start with our actual number five, and it's Mr. Ronda Rousey, Travis Brown. Yeah, Travis Brown gets a lot of heat for exactly what you just said, being Mr. Ronda Rousey. But that being said, if you look at his career record, he's got some fucking damn impressive wins on there. This is a guy who's beaten Josh Barnett and has beaten Alistar Overeem, both of which he beat by knockout. If you've never seen the front kick knockout of of Alistar Overeem, I suggest you go back and watch it. I believe that was on uh, UFC on... FS1, and it was Shale Sonnen versus uh, Shogun Hua is the main event. But it was a crazy knockout after being beaten up the whole time. So, like, when you go back and look at his body of work, he was, like, a legit top 10, top 5 heavyweight for a pretty good chunk of time. And in a a state that does not have a whole lot of MMA fighters out of it, that gets him in the top 5. Yeah, you know, there was a time where Travis Brown was one of the scarier heavyweights. To me, it was when Verdun beat him in a number one uh, contender fight that things maybe started to go downhill. But, uh, you know, he had some wins. Uh, the Overeem one, like you said, uh, you know, Josh Barnett, uh, even the Brendan Schaub win where he really just, you know, squash match Brendan Schaub. That was like peak Travis Brown, and then he went to Edmund Tiverdian, and the he fell off a cliff, and he fell off fast, but mm. there was a point where Travis Brown was one scary individual. We'll move to number four, another scary individual, a personal favorite of mine. He's a pride veteran, and he has a win over... Uh, a pretty big name you might know, but we're talking about Ensign Inouye. Yeah, Ensign Inouye, uh, legend of pride, like you said. 
um, you know, like a real OG of the sport. And in that too, that, that major win you're talking about, this is a dude who submitted Randy Couture. That's right. He submitted Randy Couture with an armbar at Valley Tudo, Japan, 1998, which is a pretty badass thing to do when you consider the fact that Randy Couture lost 11 times in his career and three different people ever submitted him. So, like, that is a crazy thing to have on his record. Um, and on top of that, too, like, you know, like he's fighting in a time where I can't rattle off a whole bunch of names of guys who, like, he beat that make him sound really badass, right? Like, I, I can tell you that, you know, like, he beat some of the best guys at the time, or he, like, had, you know, like, had an interesting UFC win where he broke a dude's arm, but, like, it, he was fighting all of the best at the time where the best maybe you don't know right now. Well, speaking of fighters you might not know, uh, or maybe you do, uh, this is a current fighter who comes in at number three, and she's very impressive. It's Alima Leigh McFarlane. She's 8-0 at flyweight. Uh, tell us about her. Yeah, so she's a brown belt in uh, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. So, you know, that already says a lot about her, her grappling skills. But what says probably more about her grappling skills is the fact that in those eight wins, five of them are by submission, including her last three fights. She's armbarred the girl she's fought. And she's fought eight times. Seven of them are in Bellator. So she is the type of person who is fighting pretty legitimate competition all the time. And, oh, by the way, fun fact, she's also a combat jiu-jitsu champion at EBI 12. So she has, like, got some crazy uh, jiu-jitsu accomplishments, but she's also probably one of the best flyweights in the world. She's just not in the UFC. Yeah, so she definitely represents the best of Hawaiian MMA combat athletes and a name to keep your eye on if you have not heard of her before this. So now let's get to really what brought us to this dance. Who's number two? Who's number one? We went back and forth at Top Turtle headquarters about this. We took into account what people said on Twitter. And it's no surprise who's going to be number one when I announce who's number two. <laughs> number two is Max Holloway. Yeah, and we, we probably could have debated this back and forth for a while, but Max Holloway has got some crazy good wins. If you go back and look at that win streak of 13, it looks pretty damn impressive. Um, I, I think he is probably not that far behind BJ Penn, and it really comes down to how you're ranking this. Are we ranking this in terms of accomplishment? Are we ranking this in terms of, like, pure skill? Because I would probably take a prime Max Holloway over a prime BJ Penn at this point, which may be a controversial take. But if we're looking at accomplishments, you, we got to remember, BJ Penn is a guy who went up in weight and beat, like, crazy good talents up in weight, right? So, like, when you think about that, Max Holloway's accomplishments are probably just a little tiny bit behind his. Yeah, I mean, again, follow the show at Top Turtle MMA. I tweeted out, their kill list and their resumes for who their big wins were. And really, BJ is just a click ahead right now. You know, we can't really penalize BJ that in his day, there wasn't really like a strong upper middle class, right? Mm -hmm. There were just your really good fighters and your really bad fighters. Whereas with Max, he's worked his way up the ladder. Everyone is fucking good. You know, you can't go in the UFC now. The number 28th best flyweight can fucking kill you on any given day mm -hmm. whereas there weren't even 28 flyweights 
when BJ Penn was on the roster. So right there, that's a huge difference. And obviously, BJ Penn is number one, so we won't do any preamble or any sort of big disclaimer on that. Uh, so we'll just talk about it right now. BJ Penn has beaten more at one time champions. You know, he has the win over Matt Sarah. He has the win over Matt Hughes. He has two uh, wins has over Matt Hughes. Jim. Two wins over Matt Hughes. The win over Jens Pulver. He has a win over Gomi, who was a pride champion. Uh, he has a win over Sean Shirk, who was also a champion. Max has his two wins over Jose Aldo, arguably the GOAT. And he has a win over a fading Anthony Pettis, also a one-time champion. I don't even mean to put it like that. I mean, Anthony Pettis is still good on any given day. He's only 27. And it's like you said, you know, it, you might have said this off air. If Max beats Moicano uh, in the spring, that doesn't make him better than BJ Penn. If Max goes up and beats Tony Ferguson oh, or avenges the Connor loss, I automatically now have Max as number one. Well, and that's so, that would that would be an extra title win too, because while we don't like to consider Tony Ferguson a current champion, he was a champion for like a quick minute after he won an interim title beating uh, Kevin Lee. So, like he, it would be another champ on his resume, and it would also be like showing that he could do what BJ Penn did, which is go up a weight class and beat somebody Matt. I mean, not Matt Hughes like, but like beat a killer at the top of the division up a weight class where he is right now. Exactly. So, again, our list, Travis Brown, number five, Ensign Inouye, number four. Number three, female flyweight, uh, Olima Lay McFarlane. Number two, Max Holloway, number one, BJ Penn. If you liked our list, if you hated our list, let us know at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We'll move now to our UFC on Fox 31 preview. Gumby, is this preview brought to the fans by any fine company? And, of course, this UFC on Fox 31 preview is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head on over to SISUguard.com to get the only mouthguard where you can talk, you can breathe, and you can drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. These things are a feat of science. Small little holes in the mouthguard make it so that this mouthguard is not restricting like those gummy mouthguards you typically get. Instead, they protect your chompers while making sure that you feel comfortable in the process. So once again, head to SISUguard.com and check them out. So, uh, I want to quickly go through this card. Let's start with the main event. I'm going with Kevin Lee over Ally Akinta. Kevin Lee betting off at a negative 300 favorite, which is kind of surprising because Ally Akinta looked pretty good his last time out. But I like Kevin Lee to wrestle him up a little bit here. And I do think Kevin Lee's striking is becoming more and more refined. So, I, I, I like his opportunity to win here in a bunch of different ways. But I especially think he'll control where the action's happening. I'm also going to take Dan Hooker, who is, again, a surprising favorite at negative 115 over Edson Barber. I like Hooker in this one because he's shown that he can definitely win this fight in more places. Edson Barboza, kind of a striker extraordinaire, has shown some weaknesses his last couple of times out. I think Dan Hooker can exploit some of those. And then I'm going to take one more favorite. I'm going to take Rob Font at negative 155 over Sergio Pettis at plus 140. Uh, I just think Rob Font is probably a better fit for the Bantamweight division. I think Sergio Pettis going up is going to have some problem with the strength of Rob Font. And as far as their striking goes, I think it's fairly similar. So Rob font here on the wrestling and strength advantage so once again that's kevin lee over ally akinta dan hooker over edson barboza and rob font over sergio pettis and this has been another episode of top turtle mma podcast we want to thank you guys for listening in each and every week it really it means a lot to me and shockwave dave um we also want to thank our sponsors adk fightwear sheath underwear and sisu mouthguards we couldn't do it without them we also couldn't do it without our mothership 
flowcombat.com. Make sure you head on over there for all of the most exciting content you can get in the MMA universe. And we want to remind you guys to follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA Pod or at tur- Top Turtle MMA. We've got cool contest trivia and all kinds of other cool stuff going on over there. So make sure you check it out. I again am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I was here with Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and this was Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We'll catch you next week.